So we live in a strange time and place in human history. And you know what I think? I think for the last 6,000 years, every generation has said, we live in a strange time in human history. We can go back in history and we look at what it went on in the Garden of Eden and what went on after the Garden of Eden and what went on in the days of Israel and the strange things that happened in China and in Europe and Asia and South America and all over the world. And it's always been a strange time. And nobody has ever got it exactly right except one, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who saw everything that was going on in his day and lived exactly God's way and honored God in everything that he did and everything that he said. All the rest of us try and do better than we did before. (laughs) Uh, We try and be growing, but nobody's perfect. Now, I do want to share with you that even though you're not perfect, It doesn't mean you should kick back and be content and say, nobody's perfect, I can just blow it off. You know, there's never been a perfect husband, so I don't have to work at being nice to my wife anymore. Which actually, there never has been a perfect husband, because Jesus wasn't married. There's never been a perfect uh, father. There's never been perfection in our culture. Uh, But... But what we want to see today, there's a lot of weird things going on in our culture. There's some rioting, some looting, some stresses and distresses. And, and you know, what, what we need to do is we need to see what Jesus sees. So we're going to start out, and uh, well, in Luke chapter 10, we're just going to be there this morning. We're not starting there and moving on. But we're looking at, do you see what Jesus sees? Okay, and then you could be turning to Luke chapter 10. We'll be there in just a moment. But I have two pictures, uh, and so here's a quiz. In a moment, we're going to show you picture number one and then picture number two, and then we'll go back, picture number one and then picture number two. And, and you have to decide which is the true picture, okay? Which is the accurate picture? Now, uh, this, uh, this picture was taken on... Uh, March the 19th in 2020. It's a picture in Casa Grande, and it's a picture uh, from the corner of Pert and Florence. And have you ever driven through there? Yeah, uh, probably often. Uh, and, and so this is a picture, and you have to decide which is the accurate picture of that day. Picture number one, now picture number two. All right, let's go back. Picture number one. Picture number two, which do you think is the right picture? Both. See, one is taken from facing east, and one is taken from facing west. And I was out walking, and I came down to that intersection, and I looked facing east, it looked gorgeous out there. Facing west, it looked like this terrible storm was rolling in. So I walked home a little faster to beat the storm home. They're on the same day. So here's the first idea that I really want you to think about today is that you tend to see life from your own perspective. So on that day, one person could have said it's a beautiful sunny day. 
Another person could have said, it's a stormy overcast day. And they both would have been right, depending on where they were looking. We tend to see life from our own perspective. And what you need to do is you need to learn to see the perspectives of others. How does that happen? Well, it happens when you learn from reading the Bible or other books or articles or magazines or online reading books, blogs, articles, and through listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to sermons and listening to podcasts or webinars, listening to the heart of other people when they share things with you. So uh, this day, this lawyer is going to get a new perspective. In Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer. Now pause right there. When we think of a lawyer in our culture, there's lots of different types of lawyers. There's corporate lawyers, there's civil lawyers, there's criminal lawyers, there's lots of different types of lawyers and different ways in which they work. But we tend to think in our culture, a lawyer is somebody who goes to court and does things. But yet there's a lot of lawyers who never ever go to court. They just do the legal paperwork and negotiations between contracts and all of that. But in this day, in the day when Jesus was walking on the earth, lawyers had a specific function. Lawyers addressed the law of Israel, particularly God's laws in the Old Testament, particularly the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but also the laws of the rabbinical teaching and then the laws of the nation of Israel. And so these lawyers were experts on the law. So they were lawyers. And these lawyers would communicate and they held themselves up as experts, and they taught as experts. and they So this certain lawyer, uh, a specific individual, he stood up and tested him. So he's testing Jesus. He's not trying to learn something. He's not saying, you know, I'd really like to know the answer to this, and I want to learn this, so I'm going to study this. He's actually trying to put Jesus on the spot. He's trying to put Jesus in an uncomfortable situation. Jesus kind of turns the tables on him. But the lawyer stood and he tested him and he said, Teacher or rabbi, uh, acknowledging Jesus' authority to be able to teach and communicate God's truth, but yet also questioning it because he's testing him. And then he, the question he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this lawyer is asking this rabbi, and he's tempting and he's testing him. He's, he's looking for a fault, an imperfection. Uh, in our day, we have people who do this. That Some of them are lawyers, and some are politicians, and some are journalists, and some are teenagers, right? right? Okay. Uh, but, but he's trying to get Jesus in a in a spot, in a fix. So, verse number 26, Jesus said to him, Jesus gives a two-part question. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? See, it's not just enough to know what the Bible says, but then how do we apply that into our life? What decisions do we make on behalf of the Scripture? 
So what is written in the law, and then what's your reading of it? And then he, the lawyer responds, and the lawyer responds really well. The lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a great answer. In fact, that's such a good answer. Jesus himself put those two things together as the great commandment and the second one just like the great commandment. And so the lawyer quotes from Deuteronomy 6.5 about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And then he quotes from Leviticus uh, 19.18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he fits these two big ideas together just like Jesus was teaching and fitting these two big ideas together. The great commandment and the second commandment just like it. You see, you can't love God and not love people. I remember when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, I felt called to preach, and I was getting out of the Marine Corps, and I worked at our church in uh, Tucson for a couple of years, and worked at the university and taught Sunday school at church, and worked and learned some stuff there, and then I went on to Bible college, and and I remember sitting down with my dad before Kathy and I moved off to to Texas for our sojourn there in the wilderness, and uh, uh, when when we were getting ready to move over there, uh, dad was sitting down with me. And uh, he said, do you think you're going to like being in the ministry? Because I loved being a Marine. I was a good Marine. I enjoyed it. I promoted quickly, and it was a great fit for me. And he said, do you think you're going to enjoy being in the ministry? And I said, well, I, I think I'd like to be in the ministry. I, I think it'll be good for me, except for, for all the people problems. And my dad looked at me and said, son, dummy, the ministry is people problems. That's what the ministry is. You're pre- taking the people God loves and the word God loves and bringing them together and trying to get them to move toward God. You know, that that's ministry is dealing with people problems, your own and others. And so I, I just wasn't ready for that at that point. In fact, my daughter Jessica said, so you surrendered to preach while you were in the Marine Corps, but you didn't become a pastor till you were 31. Why did it take so long? I said, I was slow. No, I had to change a lot. And, and God grew me. And I specifically didn't want to be a pastor in my 20s. In the Bible, the priests became their service level at about 30. And Jesus was about 30 when he began his ministry. So I just arbitrarily decided that's what it would be for me. I'd wait till I was about 30. And, and uh, then I became a pastor. But I did a lot of growing and maturing. And you know that that. The idea that we get from this passage is that this is a really, really good answer. And so if you talk to other people and you say, what's your church all about? Well, we're about loving God and we're about loving people. But that's not the whole picture. It's just a really good picture. And so Jesus, in verse 28, says to this attorney, you have answered rightly. You have answered rightly. So, you know, if this were on Family Feud, if you've ever seen that show, I haven't seen it for 30 years, but a good answer, good answer. You know, that, that's what this guy got. He gave a good answer, and Jesus said, you have given a good answer. So Jesus had a two-part question. 
what does the scripture say? And now what do, how do you apply that? And now he gives a two-part question. You have done well. You have answered rightly. Matthew 22, 20, um, 22, 34 begins a passage. Mark 12, 28 begins a passage. Both of those passages deal with Jesus saying the great commandment and the second one just like it. Exactly like this attorney laid it out. But now Jesus adds something to it. What does he say in addition to you have answered rightly? What are the next two words? Do this. Do this and you will live. Do this. See, God wants us to take action on what we have learned. Not just to learn it. Not to have it in our heads, but to have it in our heart. To work out our salvation. Let it work out all through our body so that we're acting and behaving and thinking and doing in a way that's pleasing to Him. So, um, i I, I got to admit that I probably drove my kids nuts sometimes. I, I say that in the past tense, but it may not be completely all past tense. But when they were growing up, there were times when I said, they would say, I didn't mean to do it. And so I would respond by saying, you didn't mean not to, because you could take steps to avoid it, and they hadn't done that. Okay, that's not a very nurturing thing. And, and I'm still growing in grace, right, like you are. And I've gotten better at it. In fact, I'm a lot nicer to my grandkids than what I was to my own kids. And, and my kids are grateful that I'm growing. I think Kathy's the most grateful. But, but you know, uh, we, we are going to have struggles sometimes. But it comes down to what are you deciding to do. See, we could take a test, right? We could take a test. We could generate this test, and we could give you this test. All right, this is your scripture knowledge test, and you could score 100% on the scripture knowledge test and still fail God if you're not taking that knowledge and putting it to work in your life and letting it make a difference in your daily activities. So, Please understand, Jesus was not saying this man could earn eternal life by doing good stuff. That's not what Jesus was teaching. Because Jesus said in John 14 that no one can come to the Father except how? Through Him. Through Jesus Christ. That's the only way to come to the Father. Uh, you have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans 3.10. How many are righteous? None. No, not one, Romans 3.23. How many have fallen short? All have sinned and fallen short. Salvation is a gift we receive by grace through faith. It's not earned and no one can brag about it. It's basically what Ephesians 2.8 and 9 say. Jesus was the only person who filled the great commandment, who fulfilled it every day, all day long, every day of his life. The only one who loved God with all of his heart. Jesus is the only one who filled the second commandment. Love others as yourself. He loved people so much, he died in their place. Bearing their sin on his body on the cross. 
So you can't earn your salvation. When Jesus said, do this, he's not saying, hey, you wrap this all up and you'll be saved. You'll get to heaven. What he's saying is, if you really get your heart focused on God and loving God, then you'll receive him, you'll trust him, and you'll develop a relationship with God, and you will end up in heaven. Because you can't love God without loving the one sent by God, Jesus said. So, verse 29, what do you think the lawyer did? Now he tries to justify himself. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? He wanted to limit his accountability. But Jesus kind of blows this wide open with a story. Jesus is going to tell him a story about a man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And that road was only about 14 miles long, uh, but it had a drop of 3,300 feet in elevation to drop. You know, if we dropped that far, we'd go below sea level. And actually, that's what you do from Jerusalem to go to Jericho. You go down below sea level. It's not underwater, but it's below sea level. And on that road down, have you ever hiked mountain roads or driven on mountain roads? What do they do? Big, steep mountain, right? The road just goes straight up over, right? Is that how it works? No, it goes back and forth. Lots of hairpin turns. What's that street in San Francisco that does that? Lombardo? Lombardi. Kathy and I drove that. You know, we drove it at 5.30 in the morning. We were the only car on it. We went down. We went back around. We came down again. Nobody was there. Uh, by 10 o'clock in the morning, it was jam-packed. It was crazy. But you get there early in the morning, and it's not so such a big deal. But but it's this winding road, and there's beautiful flowers all over. And uh, but but that's what you do. And so the road from Jericho, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, you had this this some winding paths to to because otherwise you'd just slip and slide all the way down the mountain. You know, awesome water slide, right? Uh, but um, in that twisting and turning, there were some spots where thieves and robbers could hide quite easily and surprise you. So it was known as a dangerous road. But this man went down that road, and he got robbed. And he didn't just get robbed, he got beaten. So Jesus says to this man, Jesus could have given him just a simple answer, but he tells him a story so the guy can make his own conclusion which, by the way, is a good teaching methodology. Don't always give your kids or your class the answer. Help them learn the answer. Help them discover it and come to know it. So Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down to Jer to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, half dead is an expression, right? I don't think they actually evaluated and did a survey of his vital signs and, okay, yeah, he's still half alive, so we'll leave him. No, but, but he, was, he was probably going to die. They had beaten him. They'd left him there. And then it says, now by chance, so this guy's there on the road, and, and what does this guy need? He's been beaten, he's been robbed, he's bloody, he's in the ditch. What does he need? Help. He needs help. 
And so here comes a guy, you think, oh, help's coming. Here comes a Jewish priest. And I always say Jewish with priest because in our day, the Bible says every believer is a believer priest. That's why our church doesn't have priests because we're all believer priests. We all represent God to humanity. And so we, we have a different structure in the church than God set up in Israel. So uh, a certain Jewish priest came down that road, and you think, oh, yay, the guy's got help. Uh, well, maybe you're not thinking that because you already know the story. But look, and when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Okay? So the roads weren't all that big and all that wide. Okay? So, so let's say... We'll go from Richard to Joel, okay? In between Richard and Joel, there's ditches on the... Richard, you're one ditch, and Joel, you're the other ditch. Sorry about that, okay? And then in between these two ditches, this is the road, okay? And so on that road, there's this guy. He's in bad shape, and so he's going to be about where Lori is. He's at the edge of the road. He's right at the ditch, and then the priest sees, and then he's going to walk over where Sue is. He's just going to keep walking on by. He's not going to go over there and help this man. What did the guy need? He needed help. So what does the Jewish priest, whose job, by the way, is to help people come close to God, minister for God to people? He skirts around and goes the other way. Oh, so now a Levite comes along, Jesus says. And, and the Levite comes along. And a Levite is someone who helps in the temple. They serve and they help and they assist the priests. And they've been doing that for generations and generations. And so here's this Levite. And this Levite's walking along and he sees the person over here in the ditch. So what does he do? Well, the priest just skirts around. But this guy, he kind of gets a little closer. If you look what it says... Uh, it says uh, in verse 32, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. So like the priest, he just kind of walked on by. But the Levite, he, he came and looked. He got a little closer. Oh, man, that guy's in bad shape. He saw it. He witnessed it. And then he moved over on the other side and went his way. Now, I don't think either of these guys would have thought of themselves as a bad person. They probably would have not even realized they were being self-centered. They just saw it and went on. It wasn't their concern. It wasn't their task. And maybe they didn't want to defile themselves by touching somebody's blood. But they saw the need. And they walked on by. Now Jesus does something astounding and amazing. Jesus introduces a new character in this story. But a certain Samaritan. Now we call this guy the Good Samaritan. Why do we call him the Good Samaritan? Because he did the right thing. There's even a Good Sam club of RVers, I guess. And they go around helping and, and caring for people. But this guy did the right thing. He was good. He helped and he ministered. Uh, but Samaritan was a bad word in Israel. In, in uh, Elijah's day, Samaria was the capital of Israel. And you'd go up to Samaria to see the king. And, and, or, and, but, but in Jesus' day, 
in between Elijah's day and Jesus' day, about 722 B.C., um, the Assyrians came down and they destroyed the northern kingdom. And what they did in Samaria is they took a lot of the people out, more than 50%, and they brought in some foreign people and put them in, again, more than 50%. That was their structure. They would take over an area. And what they would do is they, they would do that on purpose to remove the rebellion to lessen the chances of those people rebelling against him. They'd move a bunch of them away, move a bunch of new people in. And so in Samaria, these people grew up together and they intermarried. And, and the Jerusalem Jews, the ones from Judea and, and the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they thought they were better than the Jews in other parts of the country. In fact, that's why Paul later, he's given his testimony, he said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. See, he wasn't from the tribes up in Samaria. He was a, a real Hebrew. That's how they viewed it back then. And so Jesus starts talking about this good guy, a Samaritan. Now, <clears throat> that's easy for us to understand, but it's hard for the lawyer to deal with. What did the good Samaritan do? Well, he saw the wounded man just like the other two guys but he did something about it. So, verse 33, A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. Personal touch, personal investment. Pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. And, and by the way, you wouldn't pour oil and wine on a wounded man today, but that was the medicine they practiced back then. The wine would have helped disinfect. The oil would have helped uh, the healing process. And now we use antiseptic creams and stuff. But this is what they had in that day. So he pour, poured it on him, but he, did, he used his own stuff. He would carry that with him as he traveled to take care of himself. Now he's using it on this other guy. And then he set him on his own animal. So now he has to walk because he puts the guy in that place. And he brought him to an inn and then took care of him in the inn. He did even more. And then on the next day when he departed, he's leaving the inn and going on uh, probably about his business, the original trip he was taking. He took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So the Samaritan goes out of his way to meet the needs of this man. All three men saw the need. One did something about it. He sacrificed his time, his energy, his money, his materials to take care of this guy. Now, the bias against Samaritans was very, very strong. Actually, probably stronger than most of the prejudice in our country. I realize there's some extremes, but more than most of the prejudice in our country. Someone said that Jesus describing a Samaritan, making the Samaritan the good guy in this story, would have been like a, a Jewish person in 1940 in Germany talking about a good Nazi commander. 
There was so much antipathy toward the Samaritans. Now, in defense of the Samaritans, Nazi commanders were horrible to Jewish people. They murdered them by the millions. And the Samaritans had done nothing against the Jews. In fact, the only thing the Samaritans were guilty of is trying to live the life they inherited. That's the only thing they did. But the Jews hated them and despised them. And some people in our culture, they despise other people because of their heritage, because of their skin tone. I don't know if your neighborhood's like my neighborhood, but we have people of all different skin tones in our neighborhood. People who are way paler than me. I know that's shocking that there are really people paler than me, but there are. And and to people who have very, very dark skin and that we all live in the neighborhood and we talk to each other and, and we interact with each other and, and we should recognize the commonality of our humanity. Now, I realize that in America that I, I have had an opportunity that a lot of people don't. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to that in just a moment. Okay? Verse 36, Jesus now asked the big question. Okay? He asked the big question, who is the one who was a neighbor to the person in need? Who was the neighbor? And so this guy in verse 37 answers, he who showed mercy on him. The one who showed mercy. Do you see what Jesus sees? Jesus said, go and do likewise. Do you see what Jesus sees? The one who is the neighbor is the one who showed mercy. And so what Jesus sees is that you have an obligation. Your neighbor is anyone to whom you show mercy. Anyone to whom you can show mercy is, in Jesus' definition, your neighbor. There's a lot of tension in our culture. Maybe you've seen some things on the news that breaks God, break God's heart and should stress our own. I watched a police over, a police officer, press his knee into the neck of another human being. And even when he said, I can't breathe, the police officer just kept pressing. And another one pressing his knee in the guy's back. And the human being created in the image of God, loved by God, died at the hands of these police officers. Not the first time this has happened. Hopefully the last time. I've watched people yelling and marching and rioting and destroying property and looting. And I have a dear sweet neighbor. It, it was, I went over to her house to see why the ambulance had been there. And uh, her, her sister had passed away. She was out here visiting and they got to spend three months together. And then her sister had a, a seizure and passed away. And, and the news was on. And... And we turned and looked at the news, and there were people looting and 
And she said, they shouldn't be doing that. And I said, but that officer shouldn't have been doing that either. So, so here's when I asked, do you see what Jesus sees? Here's a question. Do you see the hurt or just the rioting? Do you see the hurt? I'm not saying it's right to loot. It's actually wrong. People who are looting are making the wrong choice. But it's okay that they feel hurt. Because our culture has established a social system that makes it easier for white men, men in particular, to advance and to avoid harsh penalties than it does for other people. That's the social culture that we live in. It's wrong, but that's the reality of it. And see, um, as an adolescent, I, I could have been expelled from school. But I wasn't because I had two white parents at home. And so I was suspended multiple times. And if I'd been a kid with darker skin from the home of a single mom, I might have been expelled. That happened. When I was a business manager, I went from lower level manager to upper level executive pretty swiftly in just a few years. That opportunity could not have happened if I hadn't been white. The color of your skin should not influence how people treat you. But it does. We need to be aware of it. And I listened to a Christian mom who has adopted a couple of kids from another country, Ethiopia, I think it is. I'm not sure they have much darker skin. And she said this week with all that's going on, she had to sit down with her kids and explain to them that if they're ever stopped by a police officer, they're probably guilty until they can prove their innocence just because of the color of their skin. Now, we know that's not right. We know that's not the heart of the Lord. The heart of the Lord is, do this! Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do this. Who's the one who's the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. We should show mercy. Now, I've tried to correct that social system in our house. We, didn't, we taught our kids to love everybody, to accept other people. Um, when I've had opportunities to interact with people of all different uh, ethnic backgrounds. And God loves everybody. And, and we need to show His love. Jesus, okay, you, you fill in the blank on your own. Okay? Jesus Christ died to save the people of this earth, including the ones who, you fill in the blank, the ones who look differently than you. The ones who have different educational background, the ones who have different financial level, the ones who have different personal choices. 
the differences between us are much, much smaller than the similarities that we enjoy. We are way more alike than we are different. And we should show God's love and grace. In fact, we need to respect others whose ideas are different than ours, not just their physical appearance. We need to accept them because they're fellow human beings. In fact, I believe the heart of God is this. If they're going to reject Jesus Christ, Jesus would still want you to show love to them. In fact, there's an image of Jesus described in the Scripture where He's on the way to His own crucifixion. And there are people on the side who are maybe believers and they're weeping. And Jesus says, Weep not for me, but for yourselves and your children. Even hanging on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The heart of Jesus was even if people rejected Him, He wanted them to receive God's love and grace. So we should eradicate prejudices in our culture, but we should most especially eradicate them from our church and from our homes. As we watch the news, do you just see angry protesters or do you see people who are hurting and who need Jesus? Here's another big question. Do you see your opportunity to represent God and minister to others in Christ's name. We have that opportunity. And you know what? Here's this Samaritan. He comes along, and it feels like he did a really big thing, right? What did he do? Well, he stopped. He took care of this guy to put him on his own donkey, and then went, or his own beast. It didn't say whether it's a donkey or a horse. And then they went on. And so, see, this guy... The, the Samaritan still got to go where he was going. He got delayed a time, a bit of time and a bit of materials, but he still got to go on. And then he left a little money behind to take care of the guy. It's really not that big of a deal to help people. It's not that hard. When God says, do this, you have the capacity to do it. And not only do you have the intrinsic capacity as a human being, those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ, you have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do it. Do you see your opportunity to represent God and minister in His name, in the name of Christ? Every day you have an opportunity to live as children of light. And so Jesus told this man, Go and do likewise. And that's what he's telling you and I. Go and do likewise. Minister. Care. Help. So, uh, th don't bring it up yet, Jeff. The next picture is going to be an antiquated social image. Those of you who are over 30 might appreciate this. Those of you who are under 30 might not know what it is. Okay, but here's, here's the last big question. To whom could you 
be neighborly. What's that picture? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. When the show begins, it zoomed in on that. And all the kids are like, what's that? Who's he? Fred Rogers was not a sniper, by the way. Some people said that. He was a minister who decided he would try and show love to kids and uh, did a television show that impacted lots and lots and lots of kids. It's a pretty cool factory tours that he got to show on his show when our kids, I'd watch that part with them. But to whom could you be neighborly? See, well, you're going to walk out of here. You're going to get in your car. Maybe you're really, really hungry. And you want to just head to a restaurant or pick up some food and go home and vegetate. And on your way home, you're going to see someone in need. Well, you're in need, right? You need food. Well, maybe God wants you to show mercy to that person. It's not like God gives you special lenses, right? You put them on and you get this lens and you look out and you see people and you say, oh, that one needs help. Oh, I need to help that one. Oh, oh man, that one really needs help. Okay, You don't have that. What you have is the heart of God and the Holy Spirit inside you. And you have common sense and you look around and you see who needs help. And the one who shows mercy is the one that gets praised by Jesus for loving God with all your heart, loving your neighbor as yourself, and doing what God wants you to do. We can do this. And if the people of God don't do this, what hope is there for the world? What hope is there for the world if we're not the ones showing His love and then sharing His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together? There's a, a, ver a song I asked to to close with today, um, make me a servant. Make me a servant. And so Jim's going to come up here and lead us. And the first time through this, I want you to remain seated. And, and as we're singing this, um, I want you to think about somebody that you might know of that needs help and ask the Lord how you could minister to them. Okay?